Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hi, I'm Michael. Welcome to Beyond the Screenplay, the podcast where each episode we do a conversational deep dive analysis into a film. Today we are talking about two films. Rocky, the 1976 film written by Sylvester Stallone and directed by John G. Albertson, and Creed, the 2015 film written by Ryan Coogler and Aaron Covington and directed by Ryan Coogler. I'm joined by the Beyond the Screenplay team, Trisha Rand. Hello, everyone. Brian Bittner. Hey, yo, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) Alex Cayetos. Hi. That was good. I was hoping for either that or just like the choral singing of just like fighting hard. Just going straight <laughs> into that for your hello. Uh, that was the better call though. Um, okay. So Rocky versus Creed. Before we dive in, first things first, Trisha, first question to you. Who would win in a boxing match between Alex, Brian, and myself? Oh, interesting. <laughs> Wait, why would this first. be a three-way bout? Like, <laughs> I don't is this some kind of tournament? That's I don't really it, know. Because yeah. we're all quickly. men. Listen, I I get it. It's you're you're very manly, Michael. I see you as more of a trainer. Um, so maybe you know I, okay. I don't really see that in the bout. You're kind of in the corner here with somebody. Um, and then between Brian and Alex, you know. I'm going to go with Alex. He's taller. He's got a longer reach. I agree. I think so. Am I, am really? I allowed to fall on people? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. I, I would have terrible okay. form. I'd be flailing wildly, but maybe something would land. <laughs> it's my secret ambition to be a cut man, because I just think it would be fun to be mm. in somebody's corner and have to cut him. Nice. And have to get, you think that would be fun? Okay. <laughs> um, cut their eyeball or whatever? Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Well, this conversation has certainly opened my eyes. Hey. <laughs> no. All right. Should we call we it? Yeah. Let's Episode call it. over. Right. Ding, ding. That's the bell. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. So, Brian, I'm going to throw it to you. Why, why are we talking about Rocky versus Creed? One, because I love Rocky. Um, and uh, I, for a while when we were doing lessons from the screenplay videos, I had kind of, I was trying to pitch something. I never quite got the pitch to work, but it was, I was thinking about one Rocky as a character and sort of the things that about, about him that are just sort of like 
here's kind of a loser, you know, but like he's really driven. And then there's the whole want versus need thing going on at the end. You know, obviously Rocky loses like that is people who don't, you know, if you don't know Rocky or you don't know Planet of the Apes, you know, there are certain things you know about those <laughs> movies, whether you want to or not. Um, and, uh, and then for, then Michael, you were like, I'd like Creed. And I was like, well, then maybe that's the video. Maybe it's a Rocky versus Creed video. Here are two characters who are like kind of completely opposite from each other, but they both are trying to prove themselves and, you know, they both, and they both lose at the end, but it doesn't matter because they get what they want, you know? Um, and it never quite worked, but I, it's just sort of been in my head for years now. <laughs> so we Creed three is coming out and I was like, Hey, let's do it. So I'm going to force you guys to watch these movies. But, uh, yeah, this is just, this is just a franchise that I love. Um, I lived in Philadelphia for the five of the most formative years of my life, you know? And, um, so I get very, nostalgic whenever I see anything set in Philadelphia. Um, I had a girlfriend in college who loved this character in this franchise and kind of got me into it. And then she ended up being in Creed 2, which is amazing. Um, And then, but then when Creed was announced, I was like, I don't know, do we need to keep going in this franchise? Like, are we, are we just going to keep doing it? And I was pleasantly surprised at how solid of a movie it was and how it was sort of doing its own thing while still honoring the original, which is, you know, I've talked about the the years later sequel, the legacy sequel, if you will, and how I kind of want it to be its own thing and not try to be the original, but at the same time feel like it's picking and choosing the right kind of elements to take from it. I think Creed does a great job of that. Um, so yeah, that's that's why I'm here. And most of you guys had not even seen Rocky. So that was an, also a really exciting thing for me uh, coming into this. So So I would love to hear from you guys and your experience watching Rocky for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so so I saw Creed first and then I saw Rocky. So I'm one of those people. And I forget why I even watched Creed, but I'd heard that it was really good. I think maybe it was around the time Black Panther was coming out. And I was like, OK, Ryan Coogler, I want to watch some of his more. So I've heard Creed is good. And I watched Creed. Yeah. Not having seen Rocky, not really with like high expectations. And I just remember being like super sucked in and kind of blown away and like finding it really, really powerful and being like, wow, this is really good. Uh, And so then going and watching Rocky for this, uh, it was interesting to kind of do that, you know, that backwards jump and understand the character of Rocky a lot more and why he was the way he was in Mm -hmm. Creed. Um, But also kind of, yeah, just go on that journey and appreciate firsthand why everyone loves this movie and there are like some structural things that are really interesting that i want to talk about as far as like when the movie starts right like when the inciting incident is because it's Mm -hmm. the midpoint um but just like the character of rocky i think i wasn't expecting like i think that's not something people talk about as much as just like it gets you pumped up and it's an inspirational story but rocky and the performance of him and this this kind of vulnerable, quote unquote, loser character fighting for so many things. And then it's a love story for a little while. It's kind of like an awkward rom-com where they're like <laughs> ice skating and one of them doesn't talk and the other one talks too much. And it's, like, it's just like an odds, you know, indie <laughs> dramedy for a minute. Um, but overall, I, I really like both of them. Uh, and I'm glad that you've you've brought us to this place because I think they're both really cool movies and it'll be fun to talk about both of them. So that's my journey. Trisha, what's your journey? Yeah. So I remember seeing Rocky when I was probably a freshman in high school. I remember like 
I don't know, it was one of those like, let's rent a video from the video store and everyone says this is a movie we're supposed to watch. It was not with my family. It was with a bunch of my friends. And it's just a bunch of freshmen. We're like, we're going to watch Rocky. And I just remember being like bored and also, <laughs> also confused about what it was. Like, you know, I think at that time, you know, movies that we liked were like Twister. And, right. you know, Clueless. Yeah, exactly. Genre films. Um, and we hadn't seen a lot of these like grimy 70s. Like, you know, super, uh, what do we call these? I don't know. The, the down to earth. Yeah. Like, um, slowly paced, mm-hmm. really, really grounded dramas. Sometimes and literally slowly pacing along these like 70s <laughs> streets for like wild music plays. Truly, yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah. And also like not not really understanding the character of Rocky either in a similar way to you, Michael, maybe, or just, I don't feel like anybody talks about the character. Yeah. As you pointed out and he, the whole thing is just him. Like it's really just about the makings of a hero. It's kind of this tall tale in some ways, you know, an American sort of legend and, um, or Cinderella story, sort of this rags to riches thing. And so it actually is, sort of mythic in its genre, but doesn't play that way in the way, how it looks. So it's a little, a little, I don't know, confusing, especially for somebody as young as I was at the time. Rewatching it, I'm like, well, this movie rules. As everyone says, it does. Uh, It's very, very watchable. It's great. Sylvester Stallone is great. The writing's wonderful. The characters are awesome. All of them, the supporting characters are so well rendered. And then Creed is also good. I hadn't seen it. And... I was really, I don't know. I guess I was expecting something um, more predictable, mm. and I think it. I think it's well structured and it hits its beats, but the way that it finds its, um, I don't know. I guess the way that it hits its marks, <laughs> if you can put it that way, is unexpected in a lot of ways. Um, the the references to the original the. Uh, tone of the original is not obvious all the time, especially not at first. The, mm-hmm. As you're pointing out, Brian, it finds its way into being a sequel in a lot of ways. And it's great. It's so entertaining. Um, sports films. We don't talk about them very much on this podcast, so I'm excited to get into it. Yeah. Yeah, there's something about Creed that I feel like captures the rockiness of Rocky without doing any of the same things in, right. in a lot of way or like not not copying pasting them from the original and i think there's just a reverence i don't know it's yeah i'm excited to to get into it's a very deft things. handoff yeah from one to the other yeah absolutely yeah. cool alex what about you yeah you mentioned trisha we don't talk about sports films really ever and I will admit I'm not a big fan of sports films generally because I don't care about sports generally. And so when the (laughs) stakes are like, I got to win the sport, I just don't usually care that much. But watching Rocky for the first time for this podcast, I was like, this is not a sports movie. This is, as we were saying, like a 70s gritty character study drama. And I and I do like those. And I I really, really loved Rocky. I, I I get it. I get why it is this classic that people are, you know, 
have a reverence for. And in Sylvester Stallone's performance, it really reminded me of these like legendary, like Marlon Brando kind of like, Oh yeah. What like lightning in a bottle. Like you, nobody else ever could have done this at a different time in history or as a different person in a different place. Like it just, this is like a one of a kind thing that happened here and it feels really special to get to, to watch it. Uh, so I really loved Rocky, uh, and it got me invested in Creed in a way that I honestly wasn't the first time I saw it, like watching Creed again, after watching Rocky, I was able to kind of plug in to this franchise in a way that in, in an interesting way. And we can talk about this. I think Creed feels more like a sports movie than Rocky does. Like there, mm. there are elements in Creed that it, that feel more traditionally like a sports film, uh, but it is elevated, especially in the second half, I think, when like stakes are raised and the, the kind of like father son dynamics are kind of really pushed to their edges where it, it transcends that sports film uh, vibe. But in, in some ways, I think when I first watched Creed, it was hitting enough of the sports films, I don't know, surface elements that I was like, yeah, it's not for me. It's sports. Uh, whereas Rocky immediately was like, this is not a sports film. This is something else. And it really sucked me in. So basically I'm with you guys. Uh, I love Rocky and, and it, it helped me plug into Creed in a way that I was not able to the first time around. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the thing that's interesting here is that it's like, yeah, it's a sports movie, but it's like, it's a movie about Rocky, right? It's like we have one and a quarter fights in this entire movie. Um, and Creed, like you said, Alex, like there's a little bit more. There's, I think, like three fights and there's a little bit more kind of we got to train. You got to do this thing. You got to do X sports thing to do Y sports thing. Right. Um, but but Rocky especially is just like we're going to show you a fight and we're going to talk about boxing, but ultimately we're showing this character and his journey and his, this relationship he gets into and all this kind of stuff. And then by the end, even by the end, he's like, look, I don't even need to win this fight. I just want to go the distance. Right. So it's not this sort of thing. And, you know, I, I think it's an interesting, I've talked, I, I forget if it was when we talked about um, Jaws or Jurassic Park, but I think it's fascinating to follow these franchises um, the, the Rockies and the Jaws and the Jurassic Parks is, uh, where it's like the further you go into the franchise, often it's like the less they care about character and theme. And the more they're like, Hey, people are here for dinosaurs. Let's show them dinosaurs, more teeth, right? Tricia. Um, and you know, and, and it's like, then, then that's the problem, right? It's like, no, we loved the first movie because it wasn't about the thing that it was about. That thing was there too. You get to see some boxing, you get to see some sharks, you get to see some dinosaurs. Um, but that's not the thing. Um, and, uh, and, and I think that like, that's, that's what, you know, Rudy is not a movie about football. It's a movie about whatever the main character's name is. Um, and, you know, and, and I think like those are the movies you really remember is the movies where it's just like, no, I really, really care about this character. And I, and I really I want them to be happy more than I care about whatever the rules are of whatever sport they're involved in or politics they're involved in or war they're involved in or whatever it is, you know, um, it's like, I, I want to see a character drama and I think that's especially why Rocky works, but also a lot of sports movies that, that are beloved. Yeah. 
This episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service dedicated to elevating great cinema. From iconic directors to emerging auteurs, there's always something new to discover. With Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected. It's like your own personal film festival, streaming anytime, anywhere. It's a great way to discover the best of cinema. For example, The Host, the 2006 film from director Bong Joon-ho, who you may know from such films as Parasite and Memories of Murder, is currently streaming on Mubi. Movie's take, which they give on all of their selections, is as follows. Having turned the police procedural on its head with the magnificent memories of murder, director Bong Joon-ho looked to the kaiju movie for his next genre recalibration. A supremely entertaining monster mash, the host marries political satire to family drama in an action extravaganza for the ages. And you can check it out today because you can try Mubi for free for 30 days at Mubi.com slash beyond the screenplay. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash beyond the screenplay for a whole month of great cinema for free. Thanks to Mubi for sponsoring Beyond the Screenplay. Yeah, I'm actually, as you're speaking, there was thinking about detective movies. I'm, I'm rewatching True Detective right now uh, and how so many detective movies aren't really about solving the case in so many ways it's about the detective themselves and and the moral you know standing of the world and how you're navigating and it's about all these things that are so much more than what is the mystery and and again like you're saying rocky is about so much more than who's going to be the person standing after the punching of the the face (laughs) it's like it's everything that's being fought for and and so the the kind of i think this can all be captured or a way into some of this is is this sort of structural thing that it has going on which brian you you'd sent a video that i'd never watched from our friend sage uh sage hyden of just right where he he points out that essentially the inciting incident of the movie as we would normally consider an inciting incident doesn't happen until the midpoint and so i was watching the movie this time trying to kind of figure out like when when does when is that going to happen? There's sort of like, you know, we see Rocky, we see his day-to-day life. Mm. He meets Adrian. There's a little bit of a crush. He's got this friend, Polly, who's annoying and scary. <laughs> uh, he's like breaking legs. He's doing all these things. And like, we spend a lot of time. There's like 20 examples of like save the cat-ish moments of like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Rocky's nice to this person who's shy. He's really nice to these kids. He's complimenting on these. He's got turtles. He's got all these animals. Like, mm-hmm. look at how good of a person Rocky is. It's like a big chunk of the first half. Um, and there's kind of the the subplot, which ultimately becomes the plot, is kind of bubbling where we're jumping to Apollo Creed and tracking you know, the chronology and, and the dominoes falling that will lead to this idea of like, well, obviously we need to have the biggest fight in the world and we have to pull some random person from like, right. it's all very coincidental and kind of mythic like you were talking about, Tricia. Um, and so it's just interesting that the film decides to spend all the time on Rocky, on the relationship, on that, and then bring the boxing, the actual like plot, plot stuff in later uh, and yeah, it was just striking to me, but ultimately clearly very powerful and effective in how it's done. Well, yeah, and you know, it's not that what's happening in the first act and even into the first half of the second act, it's not that that isn't plot. It's that what's happening is primarily subplot. 
Right. So these relationships that Rocky has with Adrian, with the trainer, with Polly, um, these are things that end up paying off later. They kind of become these little mini arc subplots um, that then feed into the central plot as Rocky then goes up against Apollo Creed. But they are being front loaded to get us invested in the character. And it's interesting. I don't know if I can think of a lot of other examples of that, um, but in other genres, but in the sports film, as you're pointing out, Brian, the sports film is a great place for that because we already have the construction and the genre expectations of there's going to be a contest. (laughs) There's going to be a big contest. And so the arena is already set up for drama. So we're not left wondering what the drama is going to be. We know what the drama is going to be. And I think that buys you some patience, not from a ninth grader in my case, but like (laughs) it it buys you some patience from an audience where if you have a a very simplistic construction of this, this contestant or this contender is going to test themselves or face a test then we're willing to kind of wait for the test so that we want to, because we want the stakes of the test to make sense to us and to be meaningful. Sports documentaries rely on this exact thing. Mm. Like if you've ever watched a sports documentary or like a human interest piece about an athlete, like I watched, this is my favorite part of watching the Olympics. Whenever the Olympics happen, <laughs> I'm like, I just tell me about this skier from South Dakota and like her whole deal and her mechanical leg. And I just love it. Like, I just, <laughs> I want to know what the inspirational like backstory is before I watch the sport. Right. right. Like that's, and I'm willing to sit through all of that, even though I don't know what the outcome of the sport is going to be in the Olympics because the stakes have to be established. And so I think that sports films um, in particular are really well suited for this kind of thing. Yeah. And I'll say on on top of all that, you're right, Trisha, that we have that patience because we know something's coming. But Mm -hmm. I found myself not needing to practice patience because I intrinsically found this character study interesting. You've got this guy... We, We established very quickly the kind of economic reality of his world, this this underbelly of philadelphia and we have this guy who kind of in a one-dimensional way we would think would be just like a thug you know or he is you know working for some kind of gangster dude yeah. doing thuggish things he's fighting in these like greasy underground boxing matches that's usually a person that in a one-dimensional rendering would be like an undesirable but as you said michael he's saving the cat over and over and over again in every single way and but he does it in his own like kind of strange clumsy uh, you know not very educated not not always self-aware way and so it's interesting he's not a saint he's not this just like crime dude He's this really complicated character who ultimately is very lovable because he is going out of his way to do acts of kindness in his strange, you know, not always graceful way. Uh, and and that's just I find that just interesting to watch in and of itself. And then it's like a bonus when we get to the midpoint and it's like, oh, hell yeah. Now we're going into like competition, big, huge stakes mode. And now this character that I really care about is going to be put through the ringer going up against Apollo. Um, and that's, that's a hard thing to replicate 
without this, you know, lighting in a bottle performance and mm -hmm. perfect match of actor and uh, content. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, but to my recollection, we don't know. We never learn very much about Rocky's like backstory, right. where he came from, who his parents are. Like I not in this movie right. anyway. Like yeah. they don't we really see, we see tell a picture. Us, yeah. yeah, they don't really tell mm -hmm. us anything about like his life and mm. like how he got to be the person that he is, or even really how he sees himself. Much we get into that like a little bit later, where you know, <laughs> a fun drinking game for this movie is to drink whenever somebody calls Rocky a bum. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, most of it is like we're just kind of receiving Rocky as he's being presented in these various scenarios in his life. And that's the only context we're given. So we just kind of are, are put in the position of taking him as he is like, as he is, you know, as he walks into this particular story in this place in his life and the place in his life is the underdog of everything, right? It's so, in, it's so inglorious. It's so normal. And even, you know, um, disadvantaged that there's this inherent sort of like, yeah, sympathy for the character. We don't need to know that he was bullied when he was a kid or his dad died or whatever, whatever the story ends right. up being. Um, we just can take Rocky kind of as he is because what we know about him is enough. You, you literally just described the first act of Creed, though. Creed, right? Yeah. Right. Well, I can't wait to get to it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but but real quick before before we um, move off of Rocky, um, it's it's an interesting thing that a lot of '70s movies uh, do, and we I've talked about this before, where it's like they take a long time just to be like, here's some characters, here's the world, you know. Jaws and Rocky at least open with, like, the thing, right? Here's a shark attack, here's some boxing. But then it's like, now we're going to take half the movie just to kind of spend some time with these characters. Um, but then there are the, the Godfather, the Deer Hunter, Exorcist, The Shining, Alien. They're all movies that are like, you're not even going to see the thing. Like here's an hour long wedding, you know, uh, like, <laughs> <Right>. like <laughs> that's the Godfather and the deer hunter. Um, uh, like you're not even going to see, like it's going to happen. Stuff's going to happen. And most likely if you know what the genre of the movie is, or in some cases the title, or you've seen a poster or a trailer, you know what's coming, but we're going to take a really long time just to kind of get you invested in the world and the characters. And as we've all been saying, if it's done well, then hopefully by the time the thing happens, the thing is not what you're here for anymore. You're here like that's a that's a bonus, you know, as you were saying, Alex. It's like I'm I'm I care more about this character's journey than I do the the sort of genre thing that I came here for in the first place. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, and so that's what's really interesting about comparing this movie to Creed, which is, you know, if the 70s was kind of before the hero's journey, Christopher Vogler writer's journey, save the cat, beats and field screenplay, all the, all, <laughs> before all of that got written down and, and passed out in memos, um, Rock uh, Creed is very much the opposite, where it's hitting like all the beats pretty much exactly where you want to hit them. As you were saying earlier, Trisha, like it, it knows its marks and it's hitting its marks. Uh, or maybe it's Brian, either way. Uh, but it's doing it in a way that is unexpected and really effective. And it is interesting that this um, movie Creed opens, as you were just pointing out, Brian and Trisha, completely the opposite, where we do start with baby Creed uh, and learning his whole backstory and that sort of setup and the context in which he was raised uh, and a lot of effort is put into that. And I feel like part of it is that the film is kind of juggling this thing where you're like, you are the son of a super rich, super famous, super talented boxer. And so in a different context, you would be extremely privileged. And the movie feels like it kind of has to go out of its way to be like, yeah, but like he wasn't also in order to gain some of that rockiness mm-hmm. of of the underdogness, right? We have to understand why he's an underdog despite having all this privilege. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's interesting that it that that structural dissimilarity is there. There are other similarities. There's like a love story happening, but also there's like a, a big subplot character in Rocky and we are tracking him and his story. And so there's more happening in Creed, I feel like, than at least kind of in traditional plot terms than there is in Rocky. And so it's interesting watching it juggle all those things and feel very different, but ultimately end up achieving the same kind of emotional uh, catharsis by the end. Um, Yeah. Yeah, well... Rocky becomes, you know, obviously like a surrogate father figure. So the journey of Creed as a character in that film is very different. It's more about a relationship than it is about like the, I don't know, I guess that it is about like his underdogness. The movie does try to hit that theme where it's like, I've got something to prove. I like I'm Creed's son and I want to make him proud, but I want to have my own legacy too. Um, it just, it, it, that theme is woven in there. Um, and I think, you know, which is this, which is kind of the theme from Rocky of like, how do you define yourself? Um, or how do you basically, how do you test and measure yourself? Right. It's not really about how you're seen. It's, can you go the distance? Can you find it inside of yourself to, to meet the challenge? Um, and Creed is not really about that. It's much more about his relationship, you know, uh, Adonis's relationship with Rocky. And, um, they both have this kind of like arc where they have to resolve to keep fighting 
kind of a thing, um, mm-hmm. which I'm like, I see you, movie. We're fighting <laughs> cancer now. Um, mm-hmm. But but really, but really, that's Rocky's journey, right? Rocky is still trying to go the distance um, and finding a reason to go the distance for himself in that film. And and meanwhile, Donnie's journey is about how to be in relationship with a father figure. Um, so I think that there, it's kind of interesting that it's carrying some of the themes of Rocky and that kind of gives it that Rocky feeling. But as you're pointing out, there's not the underdog, like archetypal mythic thing happening, um, with Donnie's character as much. It's still posturing itself that way, but at its heart, it actually isn't that kind of a movie in the way that Rocky is. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's actually really smart, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. The world has kind of perhaps grown beyond that kind of story. You know, Rocky, when it was new, when it was a brand new film was still not a new story. Inspirational sports films and boxing films in particular had existed long before Rocky. Uh, there's a really great one with, uh, I want to say Humphrey Bogart called The Harder They Fall that I, I watched recently. And like, it's just, anyway, there have been lots of lots of stories about this particular, you know, contest. Um, and And so Rocky was not wildly original in either its arena or its themes. Um, it just did them all really, really well. <laughs> and uh, Sylvester Stallone's writing and his performance really elevate that movie. Um, but with Creed, I think you do have to take something else. You have to start in a different place in terms of what is the movie about actually? And it's not about the same thing that Rocky is. And I think that's refreshing. Yeah. Well, I, I think when the movie, when Creed really starts to soar for me is when things get complicated in the second half, when Rocky gets the cancer diagnosis and that forces this conversation of like, what actually are we to each other? Because if you're my father, then you have a reason to live. If you're not my father, then maybe you don't. And I think that's where the movie really, you know, click for me this time, especially because I cared about Rocky intrinsically from seeing the first movie in a way that I didn't when mm-hmm. I originally saw Creed and, and I didn't, and understanding even like the, what Creed being a Creed means, you know, I, I, that was all very <laughs> abstract. The first time I watched the movie, I'm like, there's a guy named Apollo, I guess at some point and they fought and whatever. Um, but, but yeah, when, when, when the movie kind of made that turn into like facing the, uh, the painful, question mm-hmm. of like was this just a transactional relationship was this just kind of a rocky helping me out but i'm disposable um that's where i really finally clicked into the movie and i think when i say it felt like a sports movie i think there is a, there's enough movie before that where things are kind of just good like like mm-hmm. we like things like things are going well, like like they're kind of just they have a good relationship and, and it's kind of fun training. And, you know, when we, when we when we see a new boxer in the gym, like ESPN style, like sports stats appear on screen, which is mm. like I'd forgotten about. That. I feel like that's <laughs> yeah. like if I watch sports, maybe I'd be like, oh, hell yeah. Like, I'm so happy I can see the stats. But I'm like, but if, wait, no, I don't want to see stats. Like, I want Rocky. I want grainy 70s. Um and and so I think there's something about Creed where there's like a yeah f- Act Two A like first half of Act Two portion where I missed some of the 
messiness of the of mm. the original Rocky. The original Rocky just feels like a mess constantly. Like Paulie's a mess, Adrian's a mess, <laughs> Rocky's a mess, everybody's a mess. And I kind of love that about it. And I think there's kind of a period of Creed where it is the well established movie structure where it is like the fun and games. It's when things are going good before things go bad. And so the movie is letting us enjoy the characters, like not being miserable, which is great. Um, but also just less interesting to me than when uh, we're, we're pushed into these like deeper questions about the father son thing. Um, anyway, basically all that is to say by the time Creed gets there and by the time he gets to the finale and when, you know, it's a little bit on the nose, but it it really moved me when there's there's the final lines after the boxing match. And uh, I'm freeing the actual line now. He, what, what is what does Apollo say that is like about his father? Like basically when they're all there, up there on the stage, the mic is handed to him. He has some final line that is like. In any other like cheap or not as well done sports movie would have just been like, OK, that's like that's like the touching final line you say about the father son story. But it hit so hard in Creed. And that's just a real testament to, I think, the relationship that was established and like pushed to these limits in the second half of the movie. Yeah, I mean, yeah, in some ways it is interesting that it it's I mean, a good midpoint should always be like spinning the story off in a new direction and giving energy. Right. And so I think, you know, the the second half of Creed works because work has been done in that first half. Right. It's done in a very different way. There's a very different, like, uh, you know, eras of filmmaking. Yeah. Uh, and so I think, but uh, what I am impressed by is that it's, and I think Brian, you've talked about this a lot. It's, rather than trying to mimic like the style and the exact way it was done before it's like let's look at our modern day tools and see how we can get to that same place using like modern cinematic language mm -hmm. but also like tip our hat and honor like the history of it and i feel like that's is done just surprisingly well in in creed and for me two of the big things that was surprising about Rocky was like the music and like comedy and like humor, like the importance mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. having you know, like Rocky's really funny. Like Sylvester so, so yeah. Stallone is really funny and like witty and his sort of like self deprecation, but he's really observant. Like that character continues into Creed. And when I watched Creed, I was like, the music and this is awesome. And it's used to such great effect. This is so cool. Music does so much work in Rocky. Like the music mm -hmm. in Rocky is beautiful. And like, you know, mm -hmm. I knew, you know, the theme and parts of it, but like watching it, it's, it's the music is so much of that experience and like bringing you into the world of Rocky. And so I just love those, those foundational language aspects are present in both and it feels like Creed is honoring what's so special about how those are used in Rocky because they're really good in Rocky. Right. Yeah, um, this, this brings me to a couple uh, Patreon questions we had. Um, Felix said, how does one reuse and expand motifs and symbols from original music into a sequel slash reboot? Um, and in the same vein, what makes a great callback work? And then uh, Geraldo asked what how music is such an integral part of Creed and what the dynamic camera movements add to the story. Um, and specifically, I want to talk about music with relationship to both those things. 
And the the restraint in Creed, I think, is really cool. And, you know, some of it may have just been studio notes saying, hey, we want people to come into this movie fresh and not have to know anything about Rocky, right? But I think it also really helps establish this sub-franchise as its own thing, is that you start the movie, you know, the first 20 or so minutes, here's a brand new movie. It doesn't feel anything like a Rocky movie. Here are no familiar characters. Here's no familiar music, right? You don't open with you know you just like boom look at this kid fighting um and then we're going to philly and here's rocky but he you know he doesn't want to train da 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 how long who won the fight right that's none of your business right and then we're starting to kind of like here's rocky and then i think it's like the first real training session with donnie where the music kind of swells and it swells and it swells and you hear for a second the like high synthesizer note that's a that normally would go into and then it doesn't then the music stops and then we keep going in the movie and then rocky gets his diagnosis and he's walking away and then we get the sad rocky music you know the sad rocky walking away music that we know from the the original <laughs> film so well um and then finally it's at the sort of end you know end of the second act i guess beginning of the third act um where donnie is doing his training thing with the motorcycles are there for yeah, <laughs> whatever reason so just because yeah <laughs> and that but then even then the music starts you know it's this hip-hop thing it's this is donnie's music this is what mm -hmm. he listens to and then finally 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 the movie earns that big moment where it's like here we go getting stronger um and then now we finally have that thing you know and, and i really love that i think that it's it's just again we talked about it with um blade runner 2049 we even talked about it a little with uh no time to die, you know, sort of like, how do you make a bond? How do you make the 25th bond movie? Right. It's just sort of like, well, there are things people are expecting, but let's make a movie for this day and age. Let's make a movie that feels like a movie today and then kind of be restrained, but know what your audience wants and, and make sure you hit those beats, you know? And I think that I think it just does a great job of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, like there are, there are moments that are callbacks, right? Like, you know, that one patron asked about callbacks mm -hmm. and the scene with the motorcycles and stuff where he's training by himself because Rocky's in the, I guess he's actually not in the hospital, but it is during the part where he's like in chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. um, he's actually at the gym and Donnie is running to the gym and then everybody on those bikes is running with him or whatever. Uh, that's like Donnie's, you know, steps or whatever they are mm -hmm. uh the art museum steps right they right. they did like an iconic cap off a training sequence moment but they didn't do it at the steps they didn't have to do it at the steps they just picked something else that is unique to the character feels right, right for the character and is still a callback in its own way because it's this triumphant moment for the character um and that's good writing <laughs> like in fact i was so dreading i was like now he's gonna run up those damn stairs <laughs> and you know when i finally got to the when they finally got to the stairs i was like i'm not crying this is fine i hate these stairs um it was beautiful because it was so unexpected the movie waited until it, it took a symbol and repurposed it and recontextualized it for the characters at the very, very end of the film. And so those are Rocky steps and they represent a victory to Rocky. So they don't represent the same thing to Donnie. So you don't need to use the symbol in the same way. And audiences appreciate that. You can't, 
I'm not going to say which directors or executives I'm speaking to here, but you can't just take a cultural symbol, transplant it into a new movie, and then use it in like a slapdash way. These things mean something. And the steps mean something in the context of the Rocky franchise. So don't give them to Donnie during his training sequence. Those are Rocky steps. Mm -hmm. And that's really savvy writing and it seems like it should be obvious but but how to do it artfully is a puzzle and and creed really nails it yeah just to add to that i i also now that i had seen rocky was picking up on the callbacks and i was delighted every time instead of cringing you know it, it was just so nice to have him go to the restaurant where rocky is working and see that it's adrian's restaurant and that is meaningful and like sweet and wonderful and but it's not it's not a thing that like is made a big deal of. It's just there. It's part of the world. And callbacks like you know the the first fight in uh, Tijuana, like the first boxing match, it has the same underground grimy feel as the first fight in Rocky, but in a new context in a place that makes sense for the character and where he even lives. And um, so I I found that every time the movie was doing those callback or that you know tipping its hat to the original Rocky. It felt effortless and natural and and nice as opposed to, yeah, the thing that you're pointing to, Trisha, which is, yeah, if, if he were to do the exact same run up the stairs, it would just be so, ugh. Right. Roll your eyes. <laughs> be so wrong. Cool the it'd be cheap. Is, it's like, yeah, it'd be cheap. Yeah. It, it would yeah. be the obvious, the most obvious thing to do, which right. a lot of reboots would do. Right. Yeah. Something that I think is is, like, different that I was just thinking about is, you know, especially looking at that that first half of both movies, like we were talking about. In both films, I feel like they want to kind of establish like the world that this story takes place in. But Rocky spends so much time there. And as you were pointing out earlier, Trisha, there's like all these subplots that we start tracking, like from the beginning with Polly, with Adrian, of course, but with the manager. Uh, and even like the girl that Rocky walks home and gives life advice to. Screw like, you, creepo. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just really interesting how full the world of Rocky feels of like all these people that are sort of like down on their luck and having to navigate this world. And I don't even know, it's hard for me to pinpoint what that does, like specifically mechanically for me. But it it feels when I when I think back about Rocky, it does feel extremely immersive. Like mm -hmm. I was in mm -hmm. this place with, yes. right. with Rocky for a long time in a way that like I don't feel as much with Creed. Like there are moments of you know world building in Creed that are like, this is super cool. And like we get a little peek into this world, a little peek into that world. But there is something special about the the immersive universe that is built in Rocky through the characters and through through the filmmaking. Obviously, it's the 70s. We're not doing the steady cam spin arounds. We're not doing long take boxing match uh, shots that are super cool and creepy, but like really cool. In mm -hmm. uh, yeah, in Rocky, when he goes into his apartment, there's a long like extended take. So we're gonna look around his apartment and all this the Maison Sen is doing all the storytelling and mood setting. And so there is something that is gained when you you do just get to kind of like linger just long enough to like soak up and absorb this world and all the characters that are moving through it also. And and Polly in particular, I'm trying to figure out how do I feel about Polly? How do you guys feel about Polly? 
I feel like he reminds me of Tracy Morgan, weirdly. And, <laughs> and as soon as I made that connection, I could not see it. It was really strange. What well, interesting. Yeah, I think I think it's part of the kind of almost extremeness of the, of the world of the first Rocky. Like like n- none of these characters are just kind of like quiet, normal people. Adrian's quiet, but she's not normal. She's um, abnormally quiet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, it, it, it feels like a movie where every character is pushed to extremes. Even Apollo was kind of an extreme caricature yeah. of this, you know, just totally almost like narcissistic, um, full of himself <laughs> celebrity dude. Um, and, and I think, yeah, there's something about that. That is, it, it does work. It's captivating. It's captivating to watch a character like Polly because he's going to be unpredictable and he's so damaged in so many ways and is going to maybe lash out this moment or kind of now be friendly this moment. Uh, and it, it is, it is part of that seventies aesthetic, that taxi driver, like feeling like we're in these like grimy cities with these extreme personalities mm-hmm. um that are that are captivating to watch because they could do something really you know horrible if if pushed to the wrong place yeah 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 and i think there's there is something interesting about such simple characters in a movie that then it went on to become a franchise, you know, where at the time it didn't know it was going to do that. But, you know, in the same way, it's like in the first star Wars, Darth Vader's just bad guy and that's it, you know? And then in the second (laughs) movie, it's like, Oh, spoilers for star Wars. Uh, it's, uh, it's, I'm your father. Wait, what? And then the third movie, it's like, I'm going to sacrifice my life and like kill the real bad guy for you. And it's like, Oh wow. Like these care. And you get that with, um, you know, Adrian is, is such, such a, you know, as you said, the quiet character in this movie and Rocky sort of forces himself on her in a way that's not, not great to watch uh, in, in this day and age, doesn't but then play well in it doesn't play well. Yeah. <laughs> no. But then, but then both she and Polly become more well-rounded characters in, um, in the rest of the franchise. Um, and, uh, you know, Apollo Creed, especially like it's, it's such, it's that like funny antagonist thing, right. Where it's like cut to the, antagonist. it's like, we need someone to run for mayor against me, but where are we going to find someone so foolish? And it's like cut to Jack Black playing air guitar in a seven 11. Right. And it's like, it's like that kind of energy yeah. and just like, we, where are we going to find, you know? Um, but then like they become best friends and, and then like, not only that, then obviously Apollo Creed sort of launches the new Rocky franchise in, in his son Adonis. Um, and, then then of course we have and then now creed is its own franchise we've had creed 2 which takes ivan drago from rocky 4 and like makes him a more complicated character and we haven't talked about bianca at all i love bianca to death i love tessa thompson i really want bianca to have an album because that her songs from these movies are on spotify and i listen to them all the time and they're incredible (laughs) and i just want more of them um but then like we we get to take these characters who sort of start as a really two-dimensional archetype in some way i mean they're complicated characters in their own movies but they're they're sort of archetypal in in the way that they're presented but then over the course of multiple movies we get to really explore them and i think that's one of the coolest things about this franchise is taking a character who didn't get to do much in one movie and then sort of explore what else is going on with their personality in the future movies Yeah. yeah and i do think this doesn't directly i guess answer your question about polly michael but um, 
I do think that the character relationships, especially with the women in their lives, and both of these movies are critically important. And the movie, mm-hmm. the movie frames them that way, where there's um, not just as like, although I love that Creed uses the the terminology of like motivation, right? Like somebody that you want to impress or, um, you know, some kind of reflection that you see yourself in and you're just trying to like prove yourself to this woman in your life, um, potentially. But it they it goes a little bit beyond that, right? Where... Um, again, in, in Rocky, the question is a question for the character about himself. Who is he really? Is he worthy? Right. And once he has Adrian in his corner, he starts to really believe that about himself. And that's kind of what changes for him. Like, it's not just getting called up by Apollo Creed. It's not just, you know, Mickey then shows up and wants to train him after all these years of not wanting to train him and calling him a bum. It's really that someone in his life has started to believe in him. And that has potentially started to change his mind about himself. Um, And in this case, that's Adrian. Um, And I think that I wish there was like more of that like in the text of their relationship, because there isn't. But the the dynamic that they have and the way that the structure, the movie is structured around that relationship, I mean, look no further than the end to see the ending right. of Rocky, to see the conclusion mm. of how that arc pays off, right? I know. And it's that when someone who loves you believes in you, that belief can carry you through even when you don't believe in yourself. And that's a beautiful message that we get from Rocky. And we kind of see echoes of it in the relationship with Bianca. I think that it's good, you know, Brian, you mentioned the sort of problematic nature of the beginning of uh, Adrian and Rocky's relationship. Mm -hmm. And it is to us. And I agree, you know, deserves scrutiny. And I think that the modern interpretation of it in the Bianca character is lovely. And Tessa Thompson does a really good job of it um, and definitely is a very different character than Adrian, right? But we kind of see again that her belief in uh, Adonis matters to him. Um, You know, again, the primary relationship is with Rocky in that film, but the Bianca relationship really matters. And I I love that actually both of these films – take the time on those relationships because there are plenty of sports movies that don't or just try to slap a romance onto it. Yeah. Well, and, and I think like you're saying with the, like with Rocky and Adrian, he believes in her in a way that nobody else does. Like, right. It goes both ways. And I feel like that's why it, despite that scene being problematic (laughs) for all the obvious ways there is like a sweetness, I think that has been established and, and yeah, a belief in like each other yeah i just i like that that is kind of the soul of their like love is as you're as you're pointing out really nicely there it's the belief and like when someone believes in you you can do things and you can believe in them and like it is a you make each other into the best versions of each other for each other like that's all really nice and really sweet and that's again something i wasn't expecting from rocky but was so delighted to find and like I said, it was 
the most moving part of it for me. Like when he says like, Adrian, where's Adrian? Like, you know, you've heard that a million times. Mm. And he's like, you know, you yell, yo, Adrian at people for no reason. Cause you know, it's a thing. Right. But you don't <laughs> have the context. Yeah. Right. 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 But in that context, it like surpassed the like, Oh, look, here, here's what he's doing. And it's like, Oh, like there's emotion behind this. This is mm. a reason why, because it's the payoff of all of this. Um, yeah, that was just a really cool moment for me this time mm. watching. I was like, oh, Adrian. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that with with all of the Rocky things that I had known from pop culture, <laughs> it, there's something that is always stolen from them when they become a pop culture icon because it's just without context. It's just this thing that looks cheesy and meaningless in isolation. But yeah, the, like the, the big montage in Rocky like hit so hard it was so good and so powerful and yes it culminates with that shot on the top of the stairs which i've seen way too many times but it like didn't matter that i'd seen it too many times because i was so the movie had done its work i i cared so much and it did feel so triumphant that he was going to like take on this fight and like go for it so yeah man it's when when a movie is this good it's okay that you've seen the you know, pop culture image right. 1 million times because it wasn't just that image. It was the context around it that was so powerful. Cool. Why don't we go around and say what lessons we're going to take away from Rocky and or Creed. Uh, Alex, you want to start us off? Sure. Yeah. yeah I, I mentioned we were talking about how, you know, Rocky has these really extreme characters in a lot of ways with the kind of extreme difficulties you know whether it's being extremely shy or with Polly just maybe being extremely insecure and like wanting to be a good friend at some times but other times being a horrible friend um but I will say in Creed during that period of the movie that I said was kind of like oh it's just like a sports movie there is a subplot going on that I did find interesting uh which is the Bianca subplot with Tessa Thompson and I did find her character to be this really lovely like shade kind of added to the palette of the movie and it really came into focus for me in the reveal of her progressive hearing loss and i think that moment was just it something kind of turned for me with her character where it puts her in this interesting context of like she doesn't have infinite time like she her passion involves sound mm -hmm. and she is going to lose the ability to to do that basically at some point and to enjoy it and so she she's kind of keenly aware of like the the like her mortality in a way or the, or the mortality of this sense that she possesses and really values and i i think she she gives her a really interesting i i can't pinpoint it as like a a clean thematic element but but it feels right it feels like her presence there she she has the wisdom that comes from facing a difficulty like that or facing kind of a ticking clock like that that means that she she doesn't have time for bs like when he's going off the rails like she doesn't have time for that because she has this thing going on in her own life that means that every day kind of counts and I just really thought it was a smart choice for her character. She's not just a romance interest who's there, who's only focused on him. She's got her own passions, her own kind of loves, and and she, and she doesn't have infinite time to pursue them. So if he doesn't have his stuff together, she she doesn't she can't do it. Um, I just thought that was a really nice three dimensional element to her character that 
kept her from just being, yeah, the like generic supportive sports movie woman (laughs) who's just there. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, she's she's able to like focus on what matters and like prioritize that. And I feel like that's one of the lessons that Adonis needs to learn in in some ways is like, yeah. Yeah. When when, when you're when you're facing something like that in your life, you don't you just get to the point. You get you get to what matters immediately and you're not focused on the the other stuff. Yeah. And a less interesting way to do it would be to give her some kind of backstory, right? Where it's like, well, my mom was a singer, so I really want to be a singer, whatever it is. <laughs> right. <laughs> and again, taking I think the right lesson from Rocky, which is just giving us some of these characters just as they are and just letting them exist mm-hmm. in the scenes as they walk into them. Um, not that they don't feel, you know, fully rendered, like they, they feel dimensional. They don't, they're not flattened, but the choices that they're making are character defining enough in the ones that are happening on screen. Um, and so those are telling us enough. We don't need all of this apocryphal material over here, uh, to explain the character to us. When he asks her about her hearing loss, the way that she answers him tells us everything that we need to know about her. And we see that throughout when she is not taking any of his nonsense, you know, when it comes, she's like, oh, you're going to tell me that Rocky was your uncle? Like, oh, when were you going to tell me about this with Mm -hmm. your your father and stuff like that? Mm -hmm. And just absolutely not putting up with any of it. But we knew that she wouldn't because the very scene where we meet her, we know that she doesn't have time for that, as you're pointing out. So, yeah, absolutely, Alex. Yeah. I also just love the chemistry between. They're great. All three of them. Yes, <laughs> like, yes. After the first fight where, yeah, Donnie wins and he's like, we're going out on the town, what we're going to do, what we do. Smash cut to them, <laughs> the three of them on the couch, like Watching sleeping. Skyfall? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> specifically Skyfall. And okay. I love the big, the big, extra big turtle tank. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're great. Right, yeah, yes. callback. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just also like, yeah, performances are really great. And as you're calling out there, Trisha, the, how you play a beat can add that depth to it and I feel like all of them bring so much depth to moments that could be like perfectly fine you know just in service value but add depth add layers add vulnerability and yeah just good performances all around like I really like that Sylvester Stallone like came to play oh yeah yeah like he was so good in this and like he yeah just all the dynamics really good Trisha what's your lesson uh, I have a super, super simple lesson for you all today, which is name your characters cool names. Um, <laughs> these movies nail it. Like the names of these characters are so good and so iconic. And it starts with Rocky, right? Like the first movie, the the name, you know, both his both his real name, Rocky Balboa, um, or as far as we know, his real name. And then Ro- also Robert. his Bubba. Robert. Well, I'm getting to that. Uh, <laughs> and then also like his nickname, the Italian Stallion, right? Like mm-hmm. he is chosen for his name by Apollo Creed, who also has an incredibly badass name. Um, these are characters with instantly recognizable iconic names, names that are loaded with meaning. You know, Rocky is a nickname. Um, as you're pointing out, and he has a given name, which is much more boring. Um, but Rocky is a nickname that is presumably taken from a several different famous boxers named Rocky. And it's, it's, you can see right away that it's a name that Rocky has chosen for himself. It's an aspirational name. 
Um, he wants to go by Rocky. He prefers to go by Rocky. And then he also, of course, has his, like, the Italian stallion uh, boxing name. And then, so it tells us already loads about the character, in addition to being unusual enough that, you know, you're going to, you can name the movie after him. <laughs> it works fine. It's unusual enough that this is going to be the only movie named Rocky. And the name of the movie is not Bill or something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but then Apollo Creed is a great name, right? Apollo is the name of a literal god. And mm-hmm. he is a god to Rocky. Um, and Creed is, it, it represents all the things that a creed actually is, right? A belief system. This, uh, it has this, I don't know. I want to talk to like a linguist about the names sort of in all of this, like Mm -hmm. from, from that all the way to Adrian and Polly and all these other guys. I just think that there's such, um, iconic and wise naming going on here that I don't know. Yeah. Well, and, Adonis. Well, that's but, what I was getting to. Yeah. Right. But we can call him Donnie. We right? can call it's him this Donnie. really nice yeah. kind of blend of those things. And you can't just have anyone play Adonis, but Michael B. Jordan. Yeah. Uh, yes. It's <laughs> well named, well cast uh, <laughs> yes. on that one. Um, but yeah, I, naming the character, you know, you can't have Apollo Creed's son <laughs> be named like Martin. Um, <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't work. Played by Martin Lawrence. <laughs> so it, it just, it's all capturing the spirit of, again, what this movie franchise started out as, which is this mythic story. You have these characters with mythic names and, uh, you should do that in your movie. <laughs> you should pick good names for your characters. Yeah. yeah pay tribute to Hulk Hogan's character in Rocky three, whose name is Thunder Lips. Oh, that's good. It's a good one. Yeah. Wow. Thunder that's, Lips. Yeah. That upsetting. <laughs> of sounds. Yeah. <laughs> also, Mr. T is in that movie and his name is Clubber Lang, which is a cool Rocky name. Yeah. A lot of the opponents also have really iconic <laughs> names too, like I from Drago. Right. Right. Um, really good. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Brian, what's your lesson? Um, yeah, I mean, as I mentioned early on, uh, when I was trying to pitch a video about Rocky, my, I think my one line I note that I had for myself was just a character who's not cool and he knows it, uh, or mm. not smart and he knows it, you know? Um, mm. and I think, you know, if you think like this is especially in, in like the mid seventies, this was the age of Steve McQueen and Paul Newman and Robert Redford, you know? And it's like, Rocky is he dresses cool and he has a swagger and he's funny. And, you know, as you pointed out, Michael, like the, the first half of the movie is just like, look at everyone crapping on him and calling him a bum. But like, look how nice he is. You know, the movie does a lot of work to make you care about the character, but he lives in an apartment where as Trisha pointed out when we were off mic, like he just apparently threw a bunch of knives in the wall for some reason. He's just using um, knives for hooks for things. I don't know. Yeah. You could have easily had a character who was just like really respected and, always has these like really cool one-liners and it's just like the cool hero of the movie. But instead it's like, you know, Stallone really went for like, let's make this character just feel like he's talking to his pets and he feels really alone. And, you know, that's also what we get with Rocky's character in Creed. He's like, all everyone's gone and I'm here, you know, I'm just kind of alone and I don't even know if I want to bother keeping on living. And I think that like, there's something very real and vulnerable and personal about that. And I don't think we get it in a lot of movies, even 50 years later, you know, I think the, um, 
the Coen brothers do this a lot where your sort of main character is kind of a, kind of a guy that is maybe not like here's Indiana Jones or whatever. Right. And then uh, speaking of Coen brothers, other movies starring William H. Macy or Philip Seymour Hoffman. Right. It's like, we have some of those movies, but often they're kind of more art films or whatever. It's like, you don't get a lot. We've talked recently about uh, Benoit Blanc, right. Being a character who's like really cool and fun, but like, is not, like here's the here's the hero here's the guy who like knows everything he's kind of trying to figure it all out himself as as he goes um and we get what we get a lot is the anti-hero the travis bickle the walter white lewis bloom daniel plainview where it's like yeah they're bad but but i'm kind of they're kind of cool like i kind of like watching them right i want to like put them on my t-shirt or whatever and it's like no the rocky is just i mean you want rocky in your t-shirt too but he's like he's he's dopey he's not cool because he's Mm -hmm. a jerk to everyone he's cool because he's so you know it's the paddington elf ted lasso thing right well and i you you nailed it on the head when you said he is like self-aware and calls out like what he is like right he, he he he's not trying to pretend to be anything other than what he is and, he, and he's maybe insecure about it but he's kind of come to terms with it and he's just like yeah i'm not very smart i'm not very this and we like that as an audience a character yeah. who is just like self-aware about themselves and kind of at peace with it in, in like this lovable way right um yeah so i mean that that is my main lesson is just like i would love to see more characters who who aren't, you're not trying to write just like the cool guy with the cool car and the cool, you know, whatever. Right. Um, but then I was also thinking about how Creed, how, how Adonis Creed sort of complements that. And, you know, they're just complete opposites. Like Rocky is blue collar. Creed is white collar. Rocky is not super smart. Creed is pretty smart. Rocky is, you know, doesn't have a lot of money. He's kind of a nobody. Creed is rich. He's Apollo Creed's son. Rocky's from Philly. Creed's from LA. Obviously there's like racial, cultural differences, even just differences of like the times the movie are set, right? All that kind of stuff. But then it's like at the heart of both these characters, they're just, they're out to prove themselves to themselves, you know? And that's where the want versus need comes in. They don't need to win the fight. Rocky needs to prove that he's not just another bum from the neighborhood and Creed needs to prove that he's not a mistake, you know? And that, Mm. that's an interesting thing. And Trisha, you pointed out that like Rocky, the entire movie is Rocky trying to prove himself. Creed, we don't really know what he's doing until the final act where he says, I need to, I need to prove it. I need to, I need to prove what that I'm not a mistake, you know? And it's sort of like, oh, this is kind of what you've been dealing with this whole time. And it's a really interesting choice to not tell us that until we're about to go into the big fight. Right. So, so it's just sort of like, oh yeah, also this now, now really go cheer for him. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and I also love that they'd win the audience's respect, not the audience who's watching the movie, but the audience in the right. ring, right. Is, is just like, it doesn't really matter if you won or lost, like, holy crap, you did it. Like you, you came out and you, you sort of won everything except the literal fight. And I think that's, that's also such a cool such a cool thing for what your characters actually really need in a movie. You know, we've talked about it a lot, but um, in movies like Soul and uh, and plenty of movies where the character gets what they what they need, but not necessarily what they want. But it's just like Rocky has to be like the movie <laughs> to, to have that conversation <laughs> yeah, right. about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that kind of dovetails into what I wanted to talk about. And yeah, it's such a good point. It's so powerful, and it is interesting. I was watching Rocky taking note of before the big fight, before the act three, Rocky has that moment with Adrian where he sort of tells 
her, but also kind of tells the audience, like, this is what it's really about. Like, I don't want to win. I just want to, like, go the distance, right? Mm -hmm. We have that thing of, like, here's what the stakes are and it's getting defined. And I think, yeah, so I think that's really cool. The the lesson I've been thinking about, um, kind of building off of what we were talking about earlier in terms of reusing symbols in a in a reboot and a sequel and trisha you crystallized really well with the you know those aren't adonis's stairs those are rocky's stairs like only rocky can use those stairs because those stairs have meaning already and i think as we've been pointing out it's really easy to grab a thing that has meaning and try to slap it in a new thing and be like, look, meaning also. It's uh, <laughs> a lot harder to really dig into uh, defining what gave that thing meaning, mm. grasp that, and then use that in the way that is best for you know this this new thing that you're you're trying to create it's almost like an act of faith because i think a lot of times it's not the obvious choice it's not the the rocky stairs is a great example of course you want the big build-up montage and the new rocky reboot to be him climbing the stairs right of course like that's what we know like i feel like those are the the surface level obvious things that are very very tempting to do but it takes discipline and restraint and searching and a little bit of faith in order to realize, no, that's actually not the most powerful place for that. Right. And having just wanting to encourage more of that. And maybe there's something about these movies, which as you were just pointing out, Brian, even in their climaxes go a hundred percent on the getting what you need and not what you want. Right. These are sports movies where they don't, win mm -hmm. they don't win the fight and that was super surprising for me when i watched creed for the first time because i hadn't seen a rocky movie mm -hmm. before uh and that's just like that's a bold statement that also has shows confidence that you know what the thing is really about and so right. i think both of these movies have confidence in what they're really about and it's cool that creed has the respect for the source material to do that investigation and use those symbols for what they really mean and how to best use them. And I wish everyone did that all the time for more yes. things. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, if you want to see a case study in how to use symbols in a meaningless way, watch Jurassic World Dominion. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't watch it, but you can listen to our podcast about yeah. it on Patreon. <laughs> Let's put them in an amber mine now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that thing? Here it is. Look at it. <laughs> okay, you done? Next scene. Uh, oh, dino DNA. <laughs> Even a dinosaur. Well, I just want to uh, underscore what you said there, Michael, which is this is the value of analysis, right? Yes. Um, yeah. This is why we sit here and do what we do, because... Yes. We are interested in investigating what stories mean when you really dig down into them. And like it is such a, I don't know, I'm so hopeful and feel so optimistic and, and relieved to know that some of our greatest working writers and directors today also believe in this because um, we can see the evidence of it uh, in Creed. So. Yeah. Good work, everyone. Hands in the air. Yeah. Bum, 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 bum. Yay, analysis.
Yeah, <laughs> it's just as cool as winning boxing. Um, <laughs> what else have you guys been watching? Trisha, what have you been watching recently? Yeah, so I want to talk about a film I saw at Sundance, which I know is getting distribution, and I really I, I don't know the details of that, but I want to say this now so that you guys can are ready to go out and watch it when you can. Um, probably one of my favorite films that I saw at Sundance this year is the movie Theater Camp. And it's like kind of a mockumentary, like waiting for Guffman type of a thing. But also, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like it's a summer camp too. So it's a little bit like what Hot American Summer. Um, it's really funny. It's such a delight. Uh, I really enjoyed, I don't know, almost every second of it. Um, it does pay off in dividends if you were a theater kid and (laughs) if you have experience in the theater, but it's just this loving homage to a place that celebrates, you know, otherness in so many ways. Like the young people uh, that are going, attending this theater camp um, in upstate New York, which is called the Adirondacks with an A-C-T-S, they Adirondacks. Anyway, it's about them and like, this is where they kind of feel most at home. And, you know, the plot kind of becomes like a save the rec center plot um, of a movie, but it's really, really well done. And there's beautiful music and beautiful acting in it. And it's also really, really hilarious. So really want to highlight theater camp. And uh, it's like, it's the one movie that I saw that I feel like I can recommend to basically everybody without any caveats. Like nice. you, it's very accessible. You don't have to have a ton of patience or, or be like a movie nerd or something to enjoy mm-hmm. it. Everybody will enjoy it. I promise. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. And some of the cast I recognize. Yeah. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Amy Sedaris. Always funny. Oh yeah. Excellent. Brian, what have you been watching recently? Uh, I watched, she said, um, which is the movie about Jody Cantor and Megan Tui, who broke the Harvey Weinstein case uh, a few years ago. Um, and it's uh, Carrie Mulligan and Zoe Kazan awesomely playing the lead roles. And, you know, it's one of those movies where people march across a newsroom to show their editor the new scoop they just received and try to convince their source to I go on record. Yeah, you love Spotlight. It feels like a, a Spotlight successor for sure. Um, and just just a really solid emotional story. Some great one-off scenes with some amazing actresses who are just being interviewed and kind of recounting their story. And they just get like, here's Samantha Morton just acting her ass off for five minutes. And then she's gone from the movie. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, music by Nicholas Brattel, who just really brings it as he always does. And uh, yeah, I just, I liked it a lot. Uh, definitely check it out. Awesome. Nice. Cool. All right. Alex, what about you? So I started watching uh, Fleischman is in Trouble on Hulu, uh, which is based off a novel of the same name, I believe, uh, and created by the novelist. Um, and it stars Jesse Eisenberg, Claire Danes, Lizzie Kaplan, and Adam Brody. Uh, and one thing the creator said was that all those actors we know from their like teen roles, like they, they, they came into our cultural awareness as teens in these kind of iconic, like teen movies. And this is about all of them like being 40 basically. Um, Mm. and about that moment in life of like hitting the forties, which, you know, 
like everybody on this call is like we're moving towards that place or have reached that place. Um, and, Stop. And, and, hear and, you. and it, it feels it feels very much like kind of doing the American beauty thing or the kind of midlife crisis thing. But for kind of like, you know, the millennials that are entering their 40s now. Um, and so it's, it's it's I'm really enjoying it so far. It has it has that kind of it feels like something that that was that would have been made back at the turn of the century like it it does feel very american beauty in it's like there's like narration and there's kind of like the you know morning montage kind of stuff that you expect from whatever that kind of movie is the like suburban midlife crisis movie um but it but it feels fresh it feels fun and, and i'm really enjoying it so far so if you're in the mood for that american beautyishness kind of a midlife crisis-y uh, dramedy fleischman is in trouble is on hulu Nice. American beauty for millennials. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Michael? Awesome. I, like many people, are watching The Last of Us on HBO. Uh, yeah. Episode three has just aired at the time of this recording, which had I had you talked to me about the show the week previous, I would have said, like, it's good. I'm liking some of the choices, some of them. I'm like iffy about, but it's overall really cool adaptation. It's probably the best video game adaptation we've had. Uh, there are cool homages, some things I wish they would have pushed a little bit further. And like overall, I've been enjoying it and thinking there are really smart things happening. And, and then and, episode three happened. And then episode three happened and it was like they did some things and it was <laughs> really, really good. And it was just a really bold choice of just in so many ways that are like too many to detail in this podcast. Uh, but it was really excellent. I would not be surprised if some people won some awards for some of uh, the acting and writing and things that happened in them. Like very, very powerful, really, really well done. A cool example of capturing a thing that's in the game and the spirit of it in a way that is completely different from the game. Mm -hmm. um, and I won't say anything more about it than that, but it has reinvigorated my interest in the show which was already there but this episode made me be like oh i'm so excited to see like what happens next they're, they're going places they're going show. places and i'm paying attention yeah um, and and my god for the tears flowing for episode yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> my god i have not talked to anyone who was not sobbing or trying desperately not to sob uh in in a beautiful way so yeah actually trisha like you could probably just watch episode three as a self-contained hour-long movie and i think mm -hmm. you'd probably love it interesting i yeah. mean it's, even i yeah. heard about this this yeah. like this it's like was all over my feet and i was like oh i guess something's happening over there everyone's in emotions yeah sweet beautiful no. story that's like self-contained and about life and it's really good duly noted yeah, really good. So anyway, that was episode three. I'm excited to see what the rest of the season brings. By the time you're hearing this listener, there will be like 10 or 12 or 30 more episodes. I don't know. We're, we're recording early. So like I said, episode three is just aired. You know more than we do. But from where we're sitting, from where I'm sitting, uh, really good and very excited to see what you've already seen. So tell me <laughs> what you thought about it. Uh, this has been our conversation about Rocky versus Creed. We want to say a big thank you, as always, to the patrons that make this show possible. Thank you to our producer, Vince Major. Thank you to our editors, Donovan Bullen, Caleb Berg, Graham Harther, and Eric Schneider. I'm Michael Tucker, and I've been joined today by Trisha Rand, Brian Bittner, and Alex Cayeros. Send us a 
tweet and say hi because our Twitter handles are in the show notes. I did a little tongue twister. I did it backwards this time. Uh, And we will see you in the next episode. Bye, everybody. You're going to eat lightning and crap thunder. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Bye.